Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And tonight we have a very special guest. We have Louise Griffin, who has a foundation called Zach's Team. And we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, welcome, Louise. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. Okay. And I'm glad you are, but I'm, I'm sorry for the reason that you are here. Um, you. <laughs> um, Lu- Louise, is, like myself, has lost, uh, and I shouldn't say lost, she, her, one of her children died. Uh, because of an overdose back in 2013, I believe. And uh, we got to know each other because in 2014, my son also uh, died of a, a methadone overdose. And one day I got a phone call and she asked me if I, I was running a group called GRASP, which stands for Grief Response After a Substance Passing. And she asked me if I'd be interested in finding some of the people who have had their children die of overdoses to come up to a filming called If Only uh, with Jim Wahlberg and Michael Yeba up in Tewksbury at a church to reenact a church scene. And um, we'll get into that in a second, but this is how we met. And uh, that day was an infamous day as well as the snowstorm that we had to drive through to get there and drive home to get, to get out of there. But um, so Louise, can you kind of give us a little bit of background of um, what's happened in your world and your family? Sure. Um, After Zach passed away in 2013, um, it really, I really knew it was time to mobilize. Um, Up until then, remember, I think in 2010, as I recall, people started talking about this epidemic. Never really thought it was going to hit my home, but it did and it hit hard. And um, after my son passed away, I thought of how I had behaved myself as a parent when he was uh, going through this disease of addiction. And I remember feeling so much shame. And I thought, there's something wrong with this. As long as we feel, as long as we feel shame, we're never going to bring this disease to light. And so many, so many people were dying and their parents and siblings and other loved ones looking for help. And, you know, I discussed with my family, what can we do and how can we make sure that we can help spare other families? And uh, one thing that we realized is that when Zach was trying to get recovery, there were no places in Massachusetts. There was nowhere for him to go. And we ended up sending him to Florida because that really was the only place that had beds available at the time. And we found out once he went to Florida, that one of the big barriers to treatment was that oftentimes people didn't have, families didn't have the means. At that time, you know, insur- well, it still is bad. Insurance still doesn't treat diseases of the brain like they treat diseases of the body. And we really wanted to make sure that people had access to treatment and then access to aftercare following the treatment. 
um, what we had experienced often is that insurance would pay for what twenty days, maybe. That's with if you're, and I had if good you're lucky, right? Yeah, and I had good insurance. I was going to say I was lucky, right? And um, you know, for Zach to go to a step down, we paid for it. Not, you know, we're lot. We were really fortunate. We had the means to do it, but not everyone does. I'm from Lowell, Mass. It's you know, it's a real a rugged town, rugged city. Um, not everyone has financial means to to help their loved ones that are suffering from this disorder. So we formed Zach's team, and um, the purpose of it really was to provide to raise funds so that families or individuals affected by this disease would actually see some hope at the end of the day. And our hope is by giving them money that they needed so that they could afford the first month of um, recovery living to get their lives back, to get their lives in order. And um, we launched it in 2014 and happy to say we're still going strong. Unfortunately, I guess I'm not happy to say that. That means the disease is still here, but it is. I'm happy um, to say we've been able to help hundreds, hundreds of young adults. Can you go back a little bit though? And sure. what was um, how did what was Zach on, and how did he get introduced to it? Zach was uh, Zach started, I guess, with a, with a leg injury. He was a hockey player, pretty good one at that, and he broke his leg. Um, pretty bad break, needed uh, surgery. He was prescribed um, Percocets, um, and he developed his addiction from that injury. I will say that when he was on Percocets, he had a friend that told him that he, if he took them not as prescribed, he would have a different kind of high. Friend taught him about snorting Percocets. And um, honestly, from there, he never really experienced a long period of recovery. So it went from, you know, Percocets um, all the way to opiates, all opiates, and then Oxycontin, and then finally heroin. Okay. Well, actually, for people that aren't that familiar with it, all the opioids that you're talking about um, really are heroin. They're well, they the are. You're makeup. absolutely right. They're just yeah, they're of they're of the same makeup. And for those, <laughs> they are, for those who who know so very one's little under about good them. manufacturing practices, and the other is not made under good manufacturing practices. That's right. But for those of you who are not yeah, um, familiar true. with the opioid epidemic, uh, one of the big things to 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 understand is that um, opioids come from uh, true opioids come from the opium uh, plant. And that's really what heroin comes from. But the exact same makeup of that is what Oxycontin, Oxycodone, Vicodin, Morphine, and, and, um, and Percocet come from that same family. They're just um, synthetic, but it's the same family. And let's give a little bit of history. Uh, back in 1995, um, a fellow named Richard Sackler, who was the president of Purdue Pharma, um, he's probably one of the most evil people on the earth today because um, he, all he cares about is money. He doesn't care about how many people he kills. So, you know, he started convincing doctors, convincing hospitals, convincing the government, convincing a man at the FDA um, that, that um, we're not prescribing pain properly. We're not taking care of pain properly in this country and that everybody needs this miracle drug called Oxycontin. I mean, there was a lot of opioid drugs, but Oxycontin came out 
and as a time release drug. So mm -hmm. his big advertising pitch was that it would be constantly released over a 12 hour period. So you couldn't get high on it. But what he didn't, you know, what really was the reality was people could crush it and snort it and get it much quicker. Now, most people wouldn't do that when they normally get the prescription, but the average length of time, the person who might get addicted, if they're on it, on any opioids for longer than two weeks, that's all it takes is two weeks. They become addicted because when they try to not take them, they find they get sick. It's just like dope, they call it dope sick. And it's really bad. It's like, it's like being on, uh, I've seen people who get dope sick and it's like being on the flu with steroids. It's really bad. It's just, you know, you can't imagine you sweat, you throw up, you have the runs, everything. It's, it's just awful. So they go back. It gets to a point after a while just to maintain it. It's not like they're enjoying this great high. They're just maintaining it. And the biggest place that I see that young people are getting it from is number one is the dentist. When they get their, when they get their wisdom teeth out, they, have, they, they usually are given Percocets. And back in 2010, 2012, that area, uh, up until 2019, actually, they were given like 15 or 20 pills. Absolutely. And, and those pills, uh, you know, certain type of people that have like, say they're depressed or they, or they have bipolar problems or they have some other kind of problems and you give them one Percocet and they say, Whoa, wow. this is amazing. You know, I feel like I really want to live now. I feel like I've never felt before. And that's what, that's the person that's definitely going to get addicted. But then there's other people who just keep taking them and don't even know they're getting addicted. And then there's the other type of person that takes it and says, well, wow, this feels weird. I don't want to take them anymore. And the biggest mistake they make is they put them in the medicine cabinet. Right. Put them in the medicine cabinet. Because um, I can tell you stories all over the place where the biggest way some of them get out on the street is somebody who's addicted signs up to go to work cleaning houses and they go in through three houses a day. They go in they clean the bathroom. They shut the door. They open the cabinet. Bingo. Oh you know, and, and leaving any any opioids in a bathroom um, is like leaving a loaded gun in a bathroom mm -hmm. and you wouldn't do that. So if you do have any opioids in the house, you need to lock them up. In, in a place where nobody would look because that that's the only safe way. And actually, if you're not going to use them, you should get rid of them. You should take them down to the police station, the police station and, yeah. and dump them. I, I have mixed feelings about bringing them to the police station because unfortunately not everybody is honest and um, opioids are worth a lot of money on the street. So um, my, I was told by a, one of the doctors that if you put the opioids in coffee grinds, and wrap them up in a Kleenex that they'll evap they'll they'll just dissolve. They'll dissolve. And, yeah, and throw them in an in an incinerator where they're going to get burned up anyway. So anyway, going to that. So your son was on it for he started around 2010. He started around 20 yeah 2010. 2009. And then, he, and then he died in 2013. He was only 16 when he started, and he died he died at 21. Wow. That's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. He died actually on morphine overdose when he was in Florida because there were no beds in Massachusetts. So he was doing another, I used to call them tour duties, which I don't know, probably not, uh, 
that's just what I would prefer. Where's Zach? He's on another tour of duty. And um, generally his tours of duty were down in, we're down in Florida. Uh, as I said, it was the only place that um, I could get a yeah. bank book. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, and just um, back in the, that era, um, how much were they charging you to send them down there? It was uh, $5,500 a week. And that's a bargain in today's world. And that was a bargain back then. It is. It was a, it was yeah. a bargain. It was $5,500 yeah. a week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Go- Gosnold and Falmouth wants $10,000 a week now. I know. I don't even know how. I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Um, they. I know a woman that, who, um, who actually took her, um, emptied out her 401k. $80,000, and she sent her son to a place up in Maine for six months, $80,000, and that was her life life savings. And with her, it worked out. Unfortunately, with others, it doesn't work out. It doesn't. I know it doesn't. It's a, but, you know, we shouldn't have to do this. I mean, insurance, no. we, it's, you know, it's a, whether you, you know, I guess people can argue whether it's disease or choice or however they want. It doesn't matter. There's a sick person oh, and a sick person needs to be cared for. We would never yeah. send, you know, I used to say to people when they'd start about the choice thing, right? He made a choice. Well, actually he didn't, but you know, that's, no, that's I think, I think, yeah, I think you you're, you're giving, you're giving in too easy. I don't think it's a choice. Oh, I, I never really did. Don't. I don't. It's, no, it's because, others uh, that think he, they he made was, a choice. So he was 16 and you were his mother yeah. and you probably filled the prescription. I did. Not, I not did. knowing you, you saw your child lying there in severe pain and you thought you would you're doing you were doing the right thing. Now my son played football for Curry College and uh, he got a major neck injury and he was in a lot of pain. And we took him to Milton Hospital and there um after examination um they paid him you know and and one of the things about football that that i don't particularly like today is is owners and even college coaches do everything and anything to get your player who are a good player back on the field field. and they were talking about making a special helmet because if he got hit a certain way he was going to become paralyzed and and i just say whoa tatum he's not playing anymore you know, that's it. We're done. You know, which in a way was the second leg. My uh, he was he loved football, and now all of a sudden he's injured, and he's told he's never going to play football again on the same day. And and then you give him an opioid, and my son did suffer from depression at different times, and I do think after a while he was also suffering from CTE, which is mm-hmm. a the problem from being hit so many times playing football because he was a nose guard who was only 185 pounds playing opposite guys 300 pounds and he was big and he was he's not big but he was super strong and super fast so that's what they the coaches liked about him you know he could make a lateral tackle off to the side to the left or right um but every time he didn't get that way and he had the 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 center and the and the right or left guy double teaming him and laying him onto the ground and banging his head, you know? So that's, that would have been, cause I know he might, he actually lived quite a while after he got addicted because we were in and out of, of rehab several times. And I just got to the point where I didn't know what to do, you know? So, but um, the name of the show to remind people is the courage to hope. 
And the one thing um, I'd like about Louise, the reason why we put her on the show is because she does good things now for, for other people who are also struggling. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, that's why she's here. And that's what we want to talk about. So, so how do you, with this, you have two different things with Zach's team, right? You, um, you, you have this get together in April. And we have a get, yep, talk. it's our fundry. We have a fundraiser that we do in the spring. It's going to be April 1st this year. Um, okay. We call this it our April, fun this, one. Okay, this is an April Fool's joke, huh? Yeah, no, I said, when I picked the date, I said, everyone's going to think I'm just fooling them. So I hope yeah. to have a few fun things there because, you know, it oh, is yeah. April Fool's Day. Yeah, so it is April 1st. It's, um, it's actually my brother-in-law, Zach's uncle, has a, a five-piece band. Um, they play a lot of 70s, 80s music. So live band, lots of dancing, lots of fun. And boy, after the last two years, don't we deserve to have some fun? We do. So, now, where, where is this location going to be? So it's at, um, it's in Lowell, Mass. It's at Longmeadow uh, Country Club in Lowell, Mass on Havilah Street. Tickets are $25. Okay. And um, what time does it start? That's a Saturday, right? That's at 6.30. It's Friday night. Friday night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Friday night. All right. Starts at six thirty. And is that a meal go with that, or is that just a, a, a the, the entrance to the door? That's the entrance to the door. Okay. Can they buy food there? There's food that they can buy there. There'll be snacks and things like that for folks that just like to munch. Okay. Now I was just thinking if they're going to make a, a, a night yeah. out of it. There's lots know. of nice places to eat in Lowell if they've ever been up. Up to Lowell, Mass. There's a lot of nice places around the yep. area too. Okay, no, I've been there several times. I know. Oh, yeah. uh, so, um, how do they how do they buy tickets today? So we have a website. It's Zach's and Zach is with a K. So it's Z A C K S Team dot org, okay, and you and can get a- you can get tickets on our website. There's no apostrophe between the K and the S. No. No. Okay. All right. Uh, so that's good. So let's go out and have a good time. Well, most of our listeners during the day love the music from the 60s and 70s. I know so, they do. It's right up their alley. That's right. So we, we hope that we can get some people up there and we'll also, we'll advertise it when we, Thanks. when, uh, yeah, uh, I'll make sure Ben does a little recording with you doing it to get, you know, to get people to come up. That would be great. Now, um, what about your other son? Uh, I have another son that also suffered from the disease of addiction and uh, happy to say that he's been in recovery. Actually, after Zach passed away, uh, it was a wake up call, right? Um, I think, you know, kids, younger kids, well, we know, you know, the younger you are, you think you're infallible. And at right. some point, I think they both thought that they were bigger than the disease. It took them a while. It took I had a long time to realize that he wasn't bigger than, than the disease. So, um, you know, I buried one. The next day I took my, my older, he's my oldest son. I took him, I put him in a car. I drove him to Plymouth House in Plymouth, New Hampshire. I brought him to the door and I said, please take him. I just buried one. I don't want to bury two. I don't know if you've known about Plymouth House. I would just say um, they worked. They worked in, they work miracles there. They do work miracles there. I've seen miracles happen. I've referred a lot of people up there. 
um, the, to me, one of the biggest, um, you know, they have um, folks that suffer from the disease of addiction are actually the, the folks that are doing, that are engaged in bringing people through the program. It's basically a 12, it's a 12 step program, bringing them through the program. They know what they're going through. They understand the challenges. And, um, you know, I have to say, I, that place will always have a special place in my heart. Um, they gave my oldest son back to me. I thought that I would bury him too. And um, what's the age difference? Three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he's now close to 30. He's 33. 33. Yeah. So when I say close to 30, could be higher, could be lower. Yeah. So just, <laughs> You're right. 33. Yeah. <laughs> so this year, he's probably getting at me going, I'm not 33 yet. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good a. That's, that's a good number because that was Larry Bird's number on his. It on was his shirt. Larry Bird's number. Yeah, so we got three times. Yes. I, I play a little baseball, and I wore num- I wore number thirty three for a long time. A good I, number. I switched to twenty one because that's. Do you want to hear something cover. funny? That was that. Go that ahead. was me. that was my oldest son's number was twenty one. <laughs> yeah, I was twenty one all the time. <laughs> Well, I every sport he played, he was a twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I wore it for Roberto Clemente. Oh, you so did. That's, yes, that's the thing. Um, so going back to the to the drug um, again, for people to understand, people don't abuse the drug. The drug abuses, abuses you. Them. So when you get to a point where you're crushing the drug, that's because you need more just to sustain. Yeah. So the way they get higher is by doing that. And the big thing I want to warn people about today and every day, if you have somebody who is in, um, you know, in if they're in recovery, it's a day to day thing. Every day is a new day and yeah. you've got to go one day at a time. And that's one of the big things that they do in AA or in Knox, it's the 12 step program is one day at a time. You can't look way down the road because you can't be way down the road. You can't be you can't be in yesterday because that's history. So you got to stay with one day at a time. And if you feel like you might get weak, you need a sponsor. You need someone you can call at any time and say, I'm having a tough day or rough day and so forth, you know. So um, I've always said it all my, you know, every time the the strongest people I have met in my life are those that are in recovery because every day they get up and they make it, they have to look them, they look themselves in the face and say, not today, I'm going to have another good day. And, you know, it takes a lot of strength with it, a lot of courage and bravery. And just, I admire, I admire them so much because, you know, they uh, oftentimes, they really have. They've had to dig down, dig really deeper than many of us will never have to, but they do recover. And um, it's those stories of hope that I really like because, you know, people, the story doesn't have to end like Zachary's ended, right? And it just doesn't yeah. have to. There are lots of people out there that live in recovery. And I wish we celebrated, I wish we celebrated them more. Um, much like the way we celebrate someone that's recovered from cancer. And I mean, I know, you know, when Zachary oh. was, you know, people, I said, you know, if Zachary had had cancer, they would have been lining up in my driveway, bringing me a casserole when they found out my son was addicted to drugs. 
people, I, you know, was, it was like I was a pariah. And they thought if they talked to me that they would become addicted too. And, you know, it's yeah, a really, it's a lonely, lonely place to be when you're a parent of someone, of a child that suffers from this disease. You know, the, the, stigma, the stigma is the reason why it's still going on. Absolutely. If we, can't, if we don't get rid of the stigma, um, that it'll still go, continue. But the biggest thing that we need to do is get people to stop. Number one, get the doctors to stop prescribing. Mm-hmm. And get the parents or get the anybody know what you're getting if you're prescribing. Uh, I'm actually going to have surgery in a couple of weeks, and I said to the nurse today, I said, I want you to write right on, right on the the order, absolutely no opioids under any condition. You know, and she said, Well, you know, you're going to be in real pain, and I said, Yeah, I know. It'll, it'll go away much quicker. I said, you don't need to cover my pain. I'm, I'm not that person. I'm fine. I had my knee replaced uh, two years ago, and I had no opioids. And yeah, it was painful the first day. But, you know, it was over after the first day. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to wean myself off of any pills or anything, you know. Um, we do have a, we just a FYI, we do have a bill that's in the Massachusetts House. It's called the Right to Know Bill. And I've been trying to get people to call their local Congress people or their senators to tell them that um, we need to get this thing passed. And what it is, it's a, if somebody's 18 years or, or younger, especially uh, uh, this is for people who are especially getting wisdom teeth out, mm. they're more apt to have they're more apt to go to get their wisdom teeth out than anything else. And uh, right now, out of the gazillion people in the country that are addicted. Um, about 30% of them got addicted from their dentist. And, you know, dentists don't even believe me when I say that. I said, read the facts. He said, mm-hmm. everybody you give Percocets to, 5% of them are still on Percocets a year later. Why is that? You know, and it doesn't matter whether you're in Manhattan or you're in Littleton, New Hampshire. That's that's the, the, the odds that it's going to be. You know, but but in this bill, it says, that a parent has to be advised and sign off on the fact that their child is being given a addictive drug, a narcotic. That's an addictive drug. And, you know, in New Hampshire, which is one of the states where that bill got passed three years ago, also in New Jersey, last year during the pandemic, all three, there were only three states in the union where overdoses went down and deaths went down. And New Hampshire and New Jersey were two of those three states. Mm-hmm. And it's working because if they don't get it, then they won't, it won't be on the street and there'll be no right. issues out there. Um, we, had a, we had a gentleman on last week, uh, Ed Bish, and oh. he told us, you know, Ed? Yeah. So we told, we, Ed told us his story. His son took one pill with a glass of beer and never woke up because he took a high dosage of Oxycontin and he didn't even know what an Oxy was. He said, what's an Oxy? That's when he found his son and and his friends told him he took an Oxy. He said, he never even heard of it. And that's the other way people get it. They die because they're taking it at parties and the if only movie that we, we did, that was the whole, that was the other way, but that's actually about 20% of how people get addicted. The other 80%, through prescriptions and i've been in several marches around the country and i always have a a big sign and 
I have it in pink, so it really shows up. And it said, my son's doctor wore a lab coat. My son's drug dealer wore a lab coat. Because that's true. He wore a lab coat and he, and he wrote that script for my son. Yeah. And that's how he got started. And my son was a doctor shopper. He was very good. He was, and I also, I noticed that the personality that seems to be most prevalent amongst young people who have died, life of the party, very athletic, very enthusiastic, you know, felt that they were fearless, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and as they say, a talented athlete, usually they get, they're loaded with confidence. Yep. And those are the one. Those are the ones that get addicted because they're out there. They take risks and chances, and they get injuries. And that's that seems to be the one of the deals. The other, the other deal is somebody who's. You've seen that. I have. Yeah, my son's best friend was the captain of the wrestling team. He was the first. He was the first person, uh, young man, young adult I knew that that passed away of a uh, morphine, died of a morphine over. Wow, and yeah. so that. Um, He's 18 years old. Star yeah, just, he was the wrestling captain at Lowell High. Oh, yeah. My son also wrestled, but um, he didn't get along with the coach. But that was a different story. But he, but football was this thing. Football and baseball, you know. And so I, yeah. I wished I'd, I'd never had him play football. But because of his personality, I had him play football to stay out of trouble. I, knew well, I mean, you know, playing. do you remember what, I mean, that's what they used, I mean, that's what they would tell us, you know, keep your kids active, keep them involved. And, you know, I always thought it was that kind of mom, kept them active, I kept them involved, you know, did, thought I was doing all the right things, never thought that being an athlete, never, never thought, never thought that this would happen. Yeah. And by the time, you know, I mean, let's be, you know, by the time I realized there was something wrong with my son. He was well on his way to, you know, to a full, to full blown addiction. I, you know, it wasn't took months before I like really noticed changes in his personality yeah. and other things. And they hide it. They hide it. They, they hide, hide it, it good. so good. well. So, yeah. so well. And they would, they could, after they're super addicted, they will steal, lie right to your face, tell you not me, you know. I don't know where they came from, uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, and I wish, and that's, that, you know, that's one of the big things. I wish that parents would really get educated. I know you've done a lot and you've, you've done an awful lot. I've, I've gone out in the community. I can't tell you how many times I would have host like a high school night to be there to talk to parents about, to learn from my mistakes, right? And yeah. no one would show up. And I'm talking about schools that had over 2,000 students in them. And we'd have a, you know, hosting a parents night. And no parents would come. And I think, you know, don't make the same mistakes I made. Learn. Because yeah, everybody thinks it can't be their kid. And yeah, they ever say they always, they always say kid. they always say, not my child. Not my, yeah, you not know, my kid. People, I go, yeah. I people haven't it. seen if, if you know, I suggest they see two movies. I suggest they see they see if only. If only, yeah. That's a and critical one. Yeah, and then the other one is they should see Dope Sick on Hulu. Did you see? I love Dope Sick. I mean, I didn't yeah. love it, but you know what I mean. I think if anybody wants to understand why we are where we are today, that's one of the, that is the most, yes. one of the most amazing 
it's a great, it's a movie yeah. and it's really, and I'm so glad that Michael Keaton won the award for best actor. And he, uh, he brought he, it, you know, he's shining another light on a disease that really need, we need, really need to do something about that's it. That's right. To. Yeah. And, and I was told by Ed Bish that when I watched it to make sure that the um, episode seven, <clears throat> that I watch it with somebody else. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so I, I'm going to ask you, um, this, like the worst thing in the world is when a parent's told that their child has died. And, and and it comes in many ways, and some come cruel and hard, and some come soft and tender. But the end results are always the same, yeah, you know. And I won't tell anybody what, but but one of the people who really star in the show um, passes away, and the mother gets told, you know. And it's so realistic. It's so uh, that that woman did a phenomenal job and how she expressed herself, you know, and I couldn't, I could hardly watch it. I just, cause it mm-hmm. reminded me of the day my son died day and I'm sure the day your son died. And, yeah. You and, never um, forget, do you? No. So how do you deal with the grief? That's what I'm going to ask you. Oh, I have, also have a grief support group. You know, I've tried, I really do try as much as I can to give as much as myself that I can. So that, you know, I always think I'm going to spare others and sometimes miss my calling, but I do have a grief support group um, that we meet in Lowell. Uh, we meet on the third, the third Tuesday of the month, and um, I've been doing that since 2014. So um, wow, you know, yeah, <clears throat> I used to be grasp. Now we're part. You know, learn to cope has a coping today piece now. Learn to cope is a group for um, families that have been affected by substance use disorder addiction. And um, Joanne Peterson, I'm sure you know her, has. Um, graciously let us you know put our access to our meetings on her on the website for learn to cope it's called coping today and um there's quite a few of us that have groups within the mass within massachusetts and yeah, i just joanne think it's an was, important thing to do joanne was actually my first guest when we oh, started the show <laughs> yeah we, we, the we go back we go back in many different things and i I did a speech on the lawn at the in front of the White House. Did you go to the Fed Up yes, rallies in Washington? <laughs> yes, you I remember did. when she did the speech. I did the speech before her, and I said, and she, I, she, I told her, I said, I'm open. I opened up the crowd for you, got them going, you know. So as she appreciated that, you know. Um, but we've good had some good times and bad times. And, you know, and like she mm-hmm. deals with, she's been to more funerals. But I told everybody, I, she's been to over a thousand funerals and of people who are probably all under 35. I know. And, uh, and I don't know how she does that, but she told me she goes horseback riding every Tuesday, no matter what. And that's what she looks forward that's, to. And, yeah. and how, do, how, what do you do? I mean, besides having a grief group, how do you, how do you, tell people in the grief group, you know, how do you prepare them? Especially if you get a, a person who's less than a year out. That's, um, I mean, that's a hard, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, I mean, we'll both know, right. I, I mean, to me, I, I explain what my journey has been. The first year is to me was I was in a fog, right. I don't think I ever couldn't accept what had happened. Disbelief. Um, Total it was disbelief. Just, I didn't believe it. It's I didn't believe it. And then, 
I kept thinking, oh no, you know, I just couldn't believe it. It took me a while to process it. The second year I will say was probably the hardest year I ever lived through because it's then that the reality hits. He isn't coming back. He's not going to be, my son was not going to be one of the, one of the success stories. And that's really when I said, you know, it's important that we all find a way to grieve. Everybody, I believe, I think we all grieve differently. Some of us, you know, can express ourselves better than others. Others just keep it bottled up. And still others, and it's going back to the shame and the stigma of it, just feel so guilty that their loved one has passed. And, you know, I do try to tell them, you know, we did all of us. I know we all did. We did what we could at the time with what we had. And, you know, I, it's very easy to do woulda, coulda, and shoulda. And I'm sure you've done what I've done many times and said, if I'd only done this, if I'd only done that, which gets to if only. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we can beat ourselves up about it and, you know, try to tell people the most important thing that we can do. And I really, I believe this in my, the bottom of my heart is that you really need to feel your grief. If it means crying, if it means staying, then do what you have to do, but feel your grief. Um, you can move on from a loss. Your life will be forever changed. You can find joy again. It's a different kind of joy, but you can. Um, I don't know. I found that I love a little more things that used to bother me. I don't let bother me anymore. Um, oh, yeah. I try especially, to see that I've never seen. and Especially getting upset over small things. Yeah, don't do you it. Know. Just like It's not definitely know, it's not, not worth, worth it. it anymore. You know, yes. I think we've experienced the worst. I mean, I think burying a child is probably the worst thing that can happen to a that can happen yeah, to I, a being. I just do. When, and and one of my suicide classes that I did, the the um, the one guy who was in um, who's lost his wife and his brother in the in the nine eleven, okay. and he was like, you know, he said, you know, he said I was totally lost. It was like totally denial. And, and he said, every day, it was like I had a huge boulder on my back. And then we saw him 10 years later in the video, and he said, the boulder's still there, but my back's a little stronger. And that's the, that's the biggest thing. But the best thing I could tell people that are listening now that are from Learn to Cope or have a situation where you have a child or you have a spouse who is, a, who is on, who is addicted, Right now is the most dangerous time since this addiction started because most of the pills on the street have fentanyl in them. And fentanyl is, at least I don't know how many, but, but fentanyl, when it's in a fake oxy, nobody knows how much, how much fentanyl is in there. And you can have some people, the head of a pen of fentanyl will be enough to put you away. You know, so it's super, super dangerous to take anything off the street. And even heroin or cocaine is laced with fentanyl laced. these days. I have a friend who lost his son with pot that was laced with fentanyl. Pot. He was a pot smoker, ended up, he died. Yeah. And it, and I just did, a friend just took a friend's daughter, was in rehab, relapsed, went out in the street, bought what she thought was clonopin. It was fentanyl, and she died. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're getting. There's so many stories, there's and again, so I have a, you have a grief making. group, 
I'm in a group, 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 and there's so many of those people. The other it's thing so is, if you're, we, I noticed one of the things I'm in a all men's grief group is one of the groups. And um, considering in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, uh, approximately 1,500, uh, actually 2,000, another about a little over 3,000 young people have died in the past in past year and between the two states and between both states in two years, 6,000. So my math tells me that there's 6,000 men out there as well as 6,000 women and that have lost a child during the past two years. Where are these men? And I, I call it John Wayne syndrome. And the, the new you. fact is the, the person who was going to be on tonight, Louise, before we recruited you, um, he's doing suicide prevention. Well, the number one group of suicide now is men 52 to 60 because they're holding all their emotion in and they, and some of them are Vietnam veterans or just veterans of the new wars, you know, from Iraq and Afghanistan. And they've got oxy in their body and they can't cope and they don't go to a grief group. They don't go to AA. They don't go to anything. And that's a big problem. People, we need to have more groups, more people talking, more communication, and less stigma. You know, I agree. this this I, man. You know that, what I could um I just I thought I should announce this too. Um, are you familiar with Sado D? Yes. Okay, so Sado D substance. I don't know. Well, what after substance, for. well, after an overdose, they're going to kill me for forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So I'm part of that, and we're a hat. We're going to hold, planning right now, the first conference for folks that have lost any folks, whether it be parents, siblings, friends. In, that have in lost October. Someone. In October, October 22nd and 23rd, uh, myself yeah. and Dave Swindell are the chairs for the meeting. So um, I'm really proud of this. This is something that I've wanted to do for years, and finally, as part of this group, they said. What would someone really like to do? And I said, you know, I always wanted to just do a conference. Massachusetts is with hit, has been hit very hard by this epidemic. Very, very oh, yeah. hard. That's going and to be in, in Framingham, right? It's in uh, Milton. Yep. In Milton. Yep. Oh, it's going to be in Milton? Yep. Okay. I thought he said Framingham, but okay. Um, so more to come on that. But um, I think, you know, I think we're at least acknowledging that it's out it, it's out there people there are people that are stuck suffering and maybe we can reach them this way um you know people don't have to, to grieve alone you have no. a group and, and i yeah, i do agree with you well the, uh, the group really I, have, I have men come to our men don't come i have to be honest i know i know i think that no, I, I happen to be in the group with dave swindell dave was my guest uh, guest three weeks ago <laughs> Isn't he the greatest? <laughs> he is very nice guy. Great guy. Uh, one of one of his neighbors is a good friend of mine. It's a small world. There you so go. Be, before we wrap up, the one yep. thing I would like to say, and if you can, is if you have somebody who has addiction problem now, um, you need to look up Learn to Cope. You Absolutely. Need to find them. You can be in New Hampshire or Massachusetts or Florida, and there are Learn to Cope sessions and. Actually, you can be anywhere because they still do them all on Zoom, and so they, you can you can be anywhere and be what you know get involved in a group because 
I didn't know what I was doing. And I'll be the first one to admit it. And even after the first year, two years, I was hardcore. You know, yeah. and I was probably the worst thing I could do for my son was the way I react, the way I reacted. And I had other relatives who reacted even worse than that. So my 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 son died thinking he was the black sheep of the family, you know. And so that's the worst thing is to have that guilt over your head or anything because you think thought you were doing right, but in reality you were doing just the opposite. You know, you, you know, need I'm to glad show- that we're starting to that people are really I'm, I'm sure we were around the same period that we lost someone. And at that point, they were telling folks, just let them hit rock bottom. And I used to say to them, and I still believe, I believe this to this day, rock bottom can be their death. So I would just say to others out there too, learn to cope, save my life. I'm, I'm going to say that. They, it really saved my life. It taught me things I needed to learn. I would just say never rock bottom can be de- their death. No, there's no, there's no rock are, bottom with it. There is no no rock bottoms, and I really don't believe I don't believe in rock bottom no. never have. But just remember that as long as long as they're alive, there's there's always hope. I mean, there's just right. hope. But we cannot give up, and we need to tell them how much they're loved. I agree. I mean, people that have this disease, you know, suffer from low self esteem. They don't feel loved. And they need to know that someone believes in them. And it's important that we let them know that we believe in them. That's why they, we call this show The Courage to Hope. Yeah. Because breath it's means hope. And even, and even if you become a parent who has lost somebody, um, you've got to have hope for yourself. Got to have hope. Got to have hope for yourself and to, to go into that process. You know, So there's multiple different types of processes that we could go through. I was going to talk tonight about Section 35 in Massachusetts. And um, since you brought up um, Joanne Peterson, her she put her son into Section 35. And Section 35 is is not is not you're not the person who's put into Section 35 is not a criminal. No. All they are is put into a safe place. So if you can't afford to get them into recovery. You know, you just can't afford to do any of these things. And if you feel that they're a definite uh, yes. dangers of themselves, you need to go to the court and you need to get this, get it done. And and they would stay there for anywhere from 30 to 90 days, depending on how they respond. And and under that, under that uh, scenario, they're going to be sober and they're going to be able to reflect and look at a few things before. Um, you know, um, before they go back out again and they're going to hear people, they're going to hear some success stories and so forth. So that's, that's one thing that I'd like to mention is investigate section 35. And again, forget about stigma. Cause I'll tell you when your child dies, all those silly, I call them stupid stupid things mean nothing, nothing. nothing. Right. Is, you know, death is death. That's the end of the story. That's the end. You know, Um, and that's number one. Number two, if you're married and you're, you, you and your husband are together and you've lost a child and you're, and you're the woman and you're going to Louise's meetings, but your husband's not coming, um, you need to tell Louise that, you know, can my husband get into Dave Swindell's group? Because he might not want to show emotion in front of females. Because that's weak. He's supposed to be the guy that saves the family. Because he's supposed to be, he's going to look like the, the, the wrong thing, you know, and I want to say, 
um, shit bum instead of being the the success. You know, yeah. And, uh, they can bleep that out if they don't like it on the radio station. I uh, yeah. So, uh, okay. but that's that. That's part of it. You know. Um, so true. And and the other thing is try to is call your state congressman, call your state senator, and say, look, I'd like you to make sure that that right to know law gets I'm out. In the state of Massachusetts, you don't want New Hampshire making you look bad. And New Hampshire's <laughs> done it three years ago. So, you know, Chris Sununu is a good guy and he signed the bill the day he saw it, he signed he did, it. Yeah. 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 So I mean, we need to do that, you know. And we if they do. need any and if anybody we wants to every know tool more, in the tool chest. Yes. Parents yeah, need it. We all families need it. Um, we need to be heard. These things need to be supported. We need parity and insurance coverage. Right. And, um, you know, you can't be bankrupting poor families. That's what that's what's happened. That's what happens. Yep. Families it, are it, bankrupt. And but the biggest part is they're more than bankrupt with money. They're bankrupt with emotion. With emotions. Yeah, because nothing is worse than lying in bed at night and knowing that your child is never coming home. Yeah, you're absolutely you know. true. You're absolutely true. Um, Louise, just one last thing. You have a you have a uh, a golf thing coming for Zach's team in August. We do. We have a golf team, a golf, we do a golf tournament every August. It's uh, August 20th um this year, and we have it at Four Oaks Country Club in Drakeit. So um, we will get the word out on that. After right after okay. our April fundraiser, we'll start um, sending out save the dates for our golf tournament. Okay. It's a fun the, time. The, everything I run, I just tell people everything I have is fun. We do fun okay, things. That's good. And now the last thing is at the at the dance you're going to have on April Fools. Um, is there going to be product that's going to be auctioned off or anything yep. you can do? We do. Somebody... Uh, we do <clears throat> raffles. Yep, absolutely. If anybody wants to donate a raffle gift, we are accepting them. Yes, that's what I wanted to know. So there's a. So other businesses will hear that, okay? Yes, absolutely. Right. We'd appreciate anything, any considerations. Well, Louise, on um, on those gifts for your rock and roll party, I will say that Vacuum City has been a sponsor for WMEX for the least the last year. And I will make sure that you get a couple of vacuum cleaners or carpet sweepers and whatever to give away. Thank uh, you. So, oh, I love yeah, that. So, that would be great. <clears throat> They'll have a retail value of around $169, $189. So let's hope that, that we'll get some bidders for that, you know? Oh, we certainly uh, will. Yes. Okay. Um, the other thing we, we didn't um, mention, but I just would like to bring it up, is um, Hope Floats in Kingston. Um, we haven't discussed that. And again, <clears throat> anybody who is not in a grief group, they could call Hope Floats in Kingston, Mass, mm -hmm. if you're living south of Boston. Uh, and again, it's most of it's on Zoom, but eventually it won't. It's going to be in-house. So uh, they can go to Hope Floats, and that's it Hope Floats. Thing. Yes. And it's not the movie, because everybody that's goes right. on and says, put, <laughs> put, put, in, put in Hope Floats, uh, uh, Kingston, Mass, and then you'll get to the right proper website. Um, so let's quickly go over a few of the questions that people ask me about Section 35. Sure. Uh, yeah, what happens when a petition is filed with the court? I'm going to read their response. The court reviews the facts and decides whether to issue others, either a summons or a warrant of apprehension. 
there are reasonable grounds to believe the person subject to the petition won't appear voluntarily for the hearing and that further delay would present an immediate physical danger to the person, the judge may issue a warrant for that person. If summoned, the person subject to the petition will receive an order to appear in court before a judge. If a warrant is issued, police officers will attempt to locate the person, take the person into custody and deliver the person to the court for a commitment hearing. The warrant is valid for up to five consecutive days, excluding Saturdays, Sundays, and legal holidays, or until the person appears in court, whichever, whatever, whichever occurs first. Once the, person, uh, once the person is at the court, they have the right to be represented by an attorney. If the court finds that the person cannot afford a lawyer, the court will immediately appoint an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, and then the judge decides. And again, I've seen in some cases that judges um, don't don't send it, don't send them don't off. That's right. And uh, again, that some of these judges don't understand how conniving people who have addiction can be. You know. Yeah, my I'm, son I, Zach once was. I I had him sectioned, and they wouldn't send him. Wouldn't send them. That's a bad thing. It was a and, bad uh, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the next question was, what is the likelihood of serious harm? The statute defines likelihood of serious harm as a substantial risk of physical harm to the person himself or herself as manifested by evidence or threats of attempts at suicide or serious bodily harm. Now, I know one of those things is if you've overdosed not once, but twice, and somebody with Narcan has brought you back, mm -hmm. um, you are definitely a danger to yourself. I knew one individual who overdosed in the morning and okay. almost died, was sent to the hospital, came back, and because there was a sting operation going, I, they, the police knew that there was the same guy going back again. And, and you know, he thought, he thought he was just having a bad morning and that if he took more that he would get over it, you know, oh, and he overdosed again, you know, and this, you know, again, and almost died. And so this time they absolutely had him sectioned and the parent didn't section him. The chief of police in that town sectioned him. And there's a little section here on who can do it. Uh, the, the best one, though, is where may a person be civilly committed? Now, they're civilly. They're not arrested. That's oh. got to be very clear. And for males in Massachusetts, the Men's Addiction Treatment Center, Massachusetts Alcohol and Substance Abuse Center, which is in Plymouth, and it's called MassAC. I think they have one in Bristol County as well. Or Stony Brook Stabilization and Treatment Center, which must be out towards the western part. Yeah. And for women, women, it's Women's Addiction Treatment Center. They don't they don't send women to MassAC anymore. They used to send mm -hmm. them to Framingham. Yeah. And that's they send them to Framingham, yeah. They, they've done they've done away with that. And Women's Recovery from Addiction Program, which is in Taunton, and they call that WARP, which is like RAP, you know, and then, and in some cases, designated public 24-hour diversionary withdrawal management, you know. So, um, and I will tell you that 99.999% of the time, they're very safe there. And the oh, best yeah, absolutely. And the best thing for the parent, um, I don't know about you, but I was always worried that where am I going to get the phone call from this time? You know, oh, what okay. town is he in? What police station is calling me? You know, because my son was at the most of his addiction was in his 30s, you know, and so and he was an adult. So we 
you know, and that went, one of the things I was really shocked, I paid to put him into to Gosnell and he left after like three or four days. And I okay. called Gosnell to see how he was doing. And they kept telling me, well, we're sorry, sir. We can't give out that information, but I paid the $10,000. How <laughs> come I couldn't get the information? And so I will tell anybody who's thinking of doing anything. It's very frustrating, uh, very frustrating, but you have to look down every street every street because you don't know which one's going to click. I mean, that's where the HIPAA laws are a little bit frustrating, right? Because, oh yeah, you know, it's a person that really doesn't have their own best interest at heart and really needs someone that can speak on their behalf to make sure right. that, you know, they're getting one the best possible care. And really, you know, to me, leaving a facility like that is, is self-harm, right? Because they're leaving a safe environment Go. Well, here's the, here's the uh, when he left Gosnell, he left with a woman that was also there. And I don't believe any facility should be co-ed because that's a real problem because if you hook up with somebody who's also got the disease, it's Happy very days. hard to get sober together. Um, it's a, it happens, but it's a rarity. It's a rarity. But my son, my son went off with this woman and she smashed up a car. It was on July 4th. She called me and said, I think I just killed your son. And I said, what are you talking about? Who's this? And I didn't, at that time, I thought he was still in Gosnell. And she said, we left. We left. We got into a bad car accident. And they're medevacking him to Boston to one of the hospitals. I, and I asked her which one. She said, I have no idea. And so I didn't even get her name or her phone number. But I, I asked. I did find out what town it was in. And I, when I was told the town, they had taken him to St. Luke's Hospital in Taunton. but then they flew him into Boston. Um, I didn't know what hospital and nobody would tell me. They told me that I'd have to call. And then when I called, I said, my son was in a bad car accident. Is it possible that he, that he's in your hospital? And they wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't tell me. I was like, this is like nuts. Because at the time he was 37. And they just said, no, that he's an adult. We, we're, not, we're not allowed to give out that information. And I'm like, you know, so uh, I, I got to the point where I, I, I did call. I figured out where the trauma centers were. And, um, and what I did was I, I called Boston Medical and I said, what condition is my son in? And the woman said, I don't, uh, I don't know. Let me check. And that's how I knew where he was. She didn't tell me, but I made the assumption he was there. And, he was there. and, she, and then and she came back and told me he was having surgery because he had a triple complex factor of his leg. You know, and of course, what did they do? He came out of Gosnell at Boston Medical. They gave him 40 milligrams of, of Oxycontin in the morning and 40 milligrams 12 hours later. So they put him on 80 milligrams a day. You know, yeah. it's like. Um, they never check any records or anything, you know, so that was what was happening. So, um, but again, if you can get them into a treatment center, that's my, my, another family relative of mine that I put into treatment center. Um, she ended up on the, in Dublin, New Hampshire, on the top of a mountain in the treatment center there where they couldn't walk away and they didn't have a car. So there was no way you could escape or walk or walk out, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
this was a long, long time ago. And, and uh, she actually was in next door with, and their room was Judy Garland. So, yeah. Wow. So I told, I said, you're in a high class joint. And she and then swore at me quite a bit as I was walking I away. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, know, the they're mad. <laughs> yeah, they're mad, but they get over it. And they do get over you, it. You'll feel really low down and crappy and everything else in the beginning. But, you know. Just get over to clear their poor brain. Yeah, their brain yeah. needs a rest. Yeah, their body needs a rest too. I'm saying their brain, but their body needs as much of a rest as their brain does. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's really so, tough. It takes a toll on them. Just a so when Ed Bish was on here last week, um, and Ed is part of a group called RAB R A P B Relatives Against Purdue Pharma, and so if anybody in any way can influence the DOJ. And um, the assistant DOJ, who, who was from Massachusetts, to look, keep looking at the Sackler family. We need to get them with yeah. yellow, with orange jumpsuits on. So, oh. so yeah, at this time, Louise, we're going to have to sign off. Okay. Hours Thank up. you so very and much. We re- really appreciate your time. And it was my pleasure. Let's get everybody up there dancing on April okay. Fool's Day. And thanks, Tony, for all that you do. And uh, likewise to you. Much gratitude. And, and um, this is the courage to hope. And this is this is why we have this show, because we want to have, you know, Louise's other son is doing great. And that's what matters most. As long as there's breath, there's hope. And that's what we got to do. Okay. Thank you very much. Until next time, Uncle Tony signing off. 